This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Today's episode is episode number 40, Courtesy. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, our strength, and our hope. As usual, I'd like to begin with a couple housekeeping items. The first being that this is not an AA meeting or an NA meeting or approved literature by any intergroup or the general services office. This is merely my act of service as part of my program of recovery and my personal journey through the steps and and serving uh, my fellow man and woman in and out of the rooms. Second, I'm not a mental health professional and um, I, I, I wouldn't want anything that I say to be taking as gospel or even really as, of any worth or advice whatsoever. This is just my my shares. Um, you know, I'm not cross-talking. I'm not advice-giving. I'm not opinion. At least I'm trying not to. And I'm certainly not doing so in the mental health field. Um, number three, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. Uh, please respect mine. I will respect yours. There's no place for doxing or outing people in the rooms. This is a entirely charitable, nonprofit, commercial-free venture. Um, I'm just trying to help other people and stay sober myself. And fourth, um, with that said, I will not accept contributions, donations, nor will I solicit any kind of advertising or money from anybody. Um, so with that said, on to the show, why do we wait? Why do we wait till ears are deaf before we speak our kindly word and only utter loving praise when not a whisper can be heard? Why do we wait till hands are laid close folded, pulseless, ere we place within them roses sweet and rare and lilies in their flawless grace? Why do we wait till eyes are sealed to light and love in death's deep trance, dear wistful eyes, before we bend above them with impassioned glance? Why do we wait till hearts are still to tell them all the love in ours and give them such late need meed of praise and lay above them fragrant, fragrant, fragrant flowers? How oft we, careless, wait till life's sweet opportunities are past and break our alabaster box of ointment at the very last. Oh, let us heed the living friend who walks with us life's common ways, watching our eyes for love of love, for look of love and hungering for a word of praise. And that's from 1902 from the British Weekly. Uh, It was called the British Weekly, and it was a newspaper, I believe, called The Standard. And I'm going to be reading some from that today in this session called Courtesy. And I've read from this before, and you've probably recall this. Um, And, uh, 
you know, it, we're, we're coming upon Christmas and lots of, this is a exciting time. And I don't know if y'all can hear this on the, in the podcast because it's so gentle behind me, but my dog is snoring right behind my chair and my, I've got a little room now that I've dedicated to kind of the podcast studio. And uh, maybe I'll, you know, if I can do it and be discreet about it, maybe I'll, I'll put a picture up on Instagram of it. It's, I think it's kind of cozy, I'm, but it may echo a little bit, and I apologize for that. Uh, please comment or criticize on um, Instagram, or you can always reach me at Gregory B at extravagantpromisespodcast.com for email. Uh, but but the dog is is snoring behind me, and, and I love that because it, it kind of shows a place where I am in my life that I can have a, a podcast studio, you know, qu- quotes, air quotes around the word studio, but I can have these things in my life that I would never have been able to achieve or enjoy really, and, and therefore not achieve. I mean, you can have something and hate it or not like it, and therefore you don't have it. Um, and I would, I would have none of this if it weren't for sobriety um, and the 12 steps and the spiritual practice that is embodied in my program. And um, that's why I want to share this with everybody. And so I've shared this these readings before, probably last year around this time, but I want to do it again because it's just so important to me um, to embrace both the to, to, to let, let's talk about the holidays, you know, let's talk about, about our program. Um, and then let's talk about the deeper spiritual meaning of, of the holidays and our program. So first up, um, I don't know a human being who has a drama free Christmas or Thanksgiving with family. I, I, I haven't sat down and kind of you know, dissected or deconstructed why it is that the holidays bring out the absolute worst in us. But I would be, I think you'd be hard pressed to find. um, I mean, I, I can certainly name instances of really poor behavior that did not involve outward or open drunkenness or, or alcohol abuse. Um, by people around me. Um, but, you know, you think about the stories I've heard and the things I've witnessed and the things I've done in the holidays where you're like, man, would I have done that if I'd been sober? You know, I mean, I have a friend whose father took the Christmas tree and threw it out the front door onto the front yard. Um, like with all the lights and everything on it. You know, you're just kind of like, do you, I mean, does a sober person do that? You know, (laughs) and then, you know, you you just think about all the fratricide, patricide, matricide, you know, whatever it is, like, you know, homicide that occurs in the holidays among family members, you know, and you wonder like, how did, how did things where, you know, we're breaking bread to give thanks for the world we live in that our forefathers or some of our forefathers are certainly, you know, some immigrants long, long ago, uh, almost perished in this country and were able to survive through, you know, 
good fortune or bad deeds or all of whatever. I'm not taking a political stance on it. But, you know, the whole point is to give thanks for what we have, you know, that we have this amazing country, we have these opportunities and and to kind of come together. And yet it turns into a drunken shit show more often than not. And, and it's, you know, seems like sporting events have taken over, which I mean, that's fine. It's awesome. Nothing better than college football on a Friday, Thursday, Friday or Saturday after Thanksgiving, you know. And, but um, but then you think about Christmas and you think about the utter loneliness that people feel and the and the the bitterness and the hunger for love and the anger and resentment and you just want it you know it doesn't happen at easter really it doesn't happen at labor day it doesn't happen at fourth of july it's like the holidays and and there's something about them you know it's the end of the year and money christmas gifts all this stuff and and um you know like I said, I haven't dissected it or deconstructed it, but I do recognize that the holidays are a big trigger for a lot of people in the rooms. Number one is the culture of booze that infuses the holidays. I mean, it's eggnog and rum punch and hot toddies and all these things with chestnuts on the fire and Santa hats and the rockets and, you know, let's have a cocktail. And it just... It's just so embedded that it makes it very difficult for us to avoid it. But we avoid it. You know, it's better for me to be sitting on a beach or sitting alone in my apartment or better still at a meeting with other drunks helping other people than it is to pick up a drink because I feel left out. You know, just don't. You know, and then there's this second part of the program, which is like, what is the meaning of Christmas? And the, you know, the one, one, or the holidays, whatever faith you have or not faith, you know, but this time of the year and this opportunity to connect to something bigger than yourself, you know. Um, and so I'd like to read this, this passage because I think it, it really does embody everything that I believe you know, we should be thinking about. Now, I was in the rooms recently and I heard somebody say, relationships are when you take your program on the road. And that was, I thought about that. I was like, holidays and relationships are kind of the Super Bowl of a road game. You know, if if a relationship is when you take your program on the road for like a road game, you know, you're away, it's an away game. Uh, and you gotta, you gotta have a strong program to win on the road, you know? But think about it. The holidays, that's like the bowl game. That's the Super Bowl. That's March Madness. That's, you know, the final four. I mean, it is, you know, hey, it's all on the line and it's coming at you. And it's Mariah Carey singing All I Want for Christmas a billion times. And it's, you know, stockings. And dad, what'd you get me? Your mom, what'd you get me? Why didn't you get me this? Oh, I can't do it. I'm not going to get that bonus. I'm not going to get that raise. I'm going to get fired. You know, it's cold. It's damp. It's cold. You know, I mean all the expectations of what you wanted out of life that just aren't happening, you know, and, and boy, it is the Super Bowl of, of antagonism to your program, isn't it? But that's when we dig deep. That's when the best thing, the best serum, the best elixir, the best solution for all of that is go to a meeting and then go again. 
than go to an alkathon and sit with another drunk and help them. Because when you help someone else, you're staying sober. Um, here's, what it, here's what it says. And this is by Ian McLaren. He was a Scotsman, I believe, in, in 1902. trying to figure out where I should start here. We may, however, be gravely concerned that manners in our day seem to be decaying. Now think about this. This is 120 years ago, basically. And I was, I was thinking about how um, over Thanksgiving, I was with some family friends and, you know, some are very, very conservative and some are very, very liberal. And I won't say who said, who's, political side said what, but what, what was said by one of the constituencies was our country is in the, like the worst strife and discord that it's ever been in. And I was kind of like, really? I mean, I was born in 1967, the year of the Tet Offensive. You know, a year later, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. One of those years, Apollo One blew up on the on the launch pad, or you know, caught fire. And I mean, we were losing tens of thousands of men a year in Vietnam. We had a draft. We had an economy that was just, you know, really in trouble. And we ultimately, you know, we had countries around us that were going bankrupt. I mean, if we start to look into the 70s, I don't know, was it Boston that went bankrupt and New York was teetering on the verge of bankruptcy? And a few years later, we had Son of Sam and all. I mean, now that's a, a big swath of time, but, I'm, but, but still, I'm kind of like, really? I mean, the Civil War was less contentious than we are now? I mean, that's what I'm talking about, this hyperbole where people just get so wrapped up in, in their angst and their, and their own bullshit of the moment that they, they don't take a step back and go, you know, um, we were saying the same stuff 100 years ago and we were saying the same stuff 200 years ago about the lack of morals and the lack decline of civility and all this. It doesn't mean it's not a problem. But I would also suggest that like rather than decrying or sitting here and saying like the world sucks and we're just so, you know, these Gen Xers or these Gen Y or millennials or whatever the, you know, boomers, whatever, you know, why don't we just say like, hey, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to go help somebody. I'm going to actually help somebody, you know? So I think that's kind of what this is about. And it says, you know, we may, however, be gravely concerned that, our, that manners in our day seem to be decaying because there is reason to suspect that the cause is moral quite as much as social. It is not wise as a rule to make comparison between classes, but I'm inclined to think that if it comes to the spirit of courtesy, which lies behind all manners, that respectable working people, say our artisans and their wives, will make a better show than their masters and their wives. You know, think like, like, hey, you know, the, the night watchman or the cobbler or, you know, is going to be, is going to make a better show of courtesy than the hedge funder. You know, the uh, soul cycle, flywheel, hot yoga, Range Rover driving, you know, um, 
you know, running over kids on the way back from the spa. Now I'm being a little bit um, judgmental, so I'll back that down. But anyway, they will be less concerned about their own dignity, which is always a sign of vulgarity. They will have more regard to the claims of other people. They will be more anxious not to hurt another's feelings, and they will be quicker to render services in the little exigencies of life. And all this is the fruit of courtesy. Were any woman, and I count this a perfect test, traveling with a young child and some articles of luggage, it would be better for her as a rule to take a place in the third class rather than first class carriage. Think about that. The chances are that among richer people, unless they gathered from something she said or from her name within upon a dressing case, that she was a person of distinction in which case they would take any trouble in exact proportion to their own meanness, that they would eye her with displeasure, convey to her that, that the child was a nuisance, ignore the struggle with her luggage, and make her glad to leave the, the compartment. I mean, how many of us have been there? You know, we're sitting on either side of it. We're sitting in first class, and we see the person come struggling through, you know, and you're just kind of like, you know, man, count your blessings. Or you're sitting there and you're like, how many times have you been like, get the stink eye from somebody who doesn't want, you know, move on, move along. The stink eye. I mean, think about that. You know, just, you have everything in life. The world, you've taken so much more than, than your fair share, than the world gives a person. You've got so much more. And yet, it's not enough. You know, it can't be a million. It's got to be a hundred million. It can't be a hundred million. It's got to be a billion. And it can't be a billion. It's got to be 10 billion. You know, and it's got to be, you can't just make your public school better. You've got to like, you know, uh, whatever. You know how I feel. Um, were she to travel with an artisan and his wife, they would bid her welcome and make her feel at home and anticipate her wants and encompass her with observances because she was a lonely woman with a child. And the service of a woman and a child is more than manners, is the climax of courtesy. Courtesy is really doing unto others as you would be done unto, and the heart of it lies in a careful consideration for the feelings of other people. You know, a couple years ago, maybe within the last two or three years, you know, it's sort of like mindfulness became the buzzword. And then it was, um, I don't know what the word of today is, but it's something like that. And mindfulness, this, that. and then uh, two years ago, it was empathy. Oh, no, no, no. Now the word, the word of today is stoicism. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm going to stoic, stoic the shit out of that. I mean, it's just such nonsense. You know, it's like we, we, <laughs> we completely missed the point. And there's some good postings recently about the joke that stoicism has become. It's like the opposite. Like, do you even, you know, the, the scene in uh, Princess Bride, like, do you, I don't, you keep using that word. When, when Vasily says, inconceivable, you know, and he's like, yeah, I don't think it means what you think it means. You know, <laughs> um, stoic. I'm going to be, I'm going to stoic the shit out of this. I'm going to stoic you. You know, I'm a stoicism, you know, bring my stoicism to bear. You know, no, that's not what it means. Um, but this is empathy. Doing unto others as you would be done unto, and the heart of it lies in a careful consideration for the feelings of other people. It comes from putting oneself in his neighbor's place and trying to enter into his mind, and it demands a certain suppression of oneself, 
and a certain delicate sympathy with one's neighbor. Now think about that. That what do we what do we say over and over in the rooms is like God take relieve me of the bondage of self. Well, there's no quicker, better, more truthful, more kind and honest and clean and forceful and effective way to relieve you of the bondage of self than for you to put yourself in your neighbor's place and try to enter their mind. And, you know, and it demands a certain suppression of oneself and a certain delicate sympathy with one's neighbor. So far as our abounding egotism reigns, we are bound to be discourteous. <laughs> because we shall be so blindly immersed in our own affairs that we cannot even see the things of others. So far as we break the bonds of self and project ourselves into the life of our brother man, we are bound to be discourteous because we shall now be interested in what is dear to him or her. Uh, this man also has a family and a business. This man also has had sicknesses and trials. Imagine we must not therefore talk without ceasing about our children, our interests, our afflictions, our life. Okay, pause for a second. Guilty as charged. I mean, that's when I'm at my worst and my lowest and I'm talk, thinking about killing myself and doing all this stuff because I'm just so, I'm so tied up in the bondage of self, my ego, myself, my self will run right, all those things. The easiest, quickest way to get out of all that is just go, hey, you know, I'm going to go help somebody. I'm going to go to a meeting and listen to someone else. Maybe lend a hand. This man also has a church and a creed and opinions of his own and a history. Remarkable. We must not, therefore, assume that our kind of religion, our traditional views, and our notions, and our particular sect make the whole set, make the whole world, whole round world. You know, think about that today in the climate that we find ourselves. I know these are outside issues. But I mean, you know, it's like, what have you just said? Like, hey, you know, there's a reason you might feel that way. And it's cool. Kind of tell me why, you know, like I'm, I'm interested to know. This man beside us also has a hard fight with an unfavoring world, with strong temptations, with doubts and fears, with wounds of the past, which have skinned over, but which smart when they are touched. It is a fact. I mean, come on. Every single person sitting there is fighting that hard battle, right? That's what the bumper sticker says. Except they attribute it to Plato, and really it's Ian McLaurin. Let me read that again. This man beside us also has a hard fight with an unfavoring world, with strong temptations, with doubts and fears, with wounds of the past which have skinned over. Mm, that's just like catches the essence of it, doesn't it? But which smart when they're touched. It is a fact. And when this occurs to us, we are moved to deal kindly with him, to bid him be of good cheer, to let him understand that we're also fighting a battle. We are bound not to irritate him, nor press heartily upon him, nor help his lower self. We must feel as a brother toward the man beside us and say to him the things that we should like to have said to us and treat him as we should desire to be treated when our hands are hanging down and our hearts are heavy. And this is the very essence of courtesy. I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to read that again. Because I think that says all that there is to say. We must feel as a brother toward the man beside us 
and say to him the things that we should like to have said to us and treat him as we should desire to be treated when our hands are hanging down and our hearts are heavy. And this is the very essence of courtesy. I mean, isn't that the essence of friendship? Isn't that the essence of the most Christian of loves? The most, the most important of the four loves isn't that what, you know, I, I, again, whatever denomination or religion or, or sect or atheism, whatever you got, you know, that's cool. I'm into it. Let me know how I can understand more. In my faith, you know, my Savior sat in the garden and was like, I could go to hell or I can betray my friends. You know, I can give my friends eternal salvation and take the sin from them. But it's going to cost me. I'm going to have to go through hell. And we think about the man that was born, you know, 2019 years ago. And, and what we did to him as a people. And what he did for us. And whether you're believe or you don't believe whether you have faith or your faith is dormant whether you don't have a faith and don't want a faith can can we not all find together when we say let's feel as a brother towards the man beside us and let's say to each other the things that we should like to have said to us and treat each other as we should desire to be treated when our hands are hanging down i mean Come on, if you're in the rooms, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what it's like to have your hands hanging down. You know, like a fighter, you're, 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 your hands aren't up. You're defenseless. You know, swift. You know, you're, you're, come, you're, you're, you're defenseless. And your heart is heavy because you know the end is near. Ooh, boy, I'm getting emotional because it just gets me so fired up to read this. And I think about it, this is, you know, 118 years old. And I'm just like, damn. Mm. I'm so grateful for this program because it gives me the clarity and the love in my heart to be able to get outside myself and to say, like, God, let me, I'm just chomping the bit. I need to get to a meeting. I need to, I need to just be there because someone may need me to be there. You know, so lend a hand. Here's a little advice and opinion and cross-talking. You know, give your seat up on the subway to the, to, to the young person, to the old person, to whoever. You know, put an extra dollar in the freaking till at the meeting. You know, give someone a ride to a meeting. You know, go, 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 go give some money to a homeless person or, you know, maybe just ask them if they need a cup of coffee or something. Speak kindly. Speak kindly of, of all our leaders, all of our, our, our teachers and our coaches and our parents and our children, all of them, even if we 
feel so deeply in our hearts that we're that they're wrong or they're bad or whatever. Just speak kindly of them and see how you feel. Think like, you know, maybe I'm just maybe I just need to be fill my heart with kindness today. Maybe I just need to fill my heart with courtesy today. If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always, always materialize if we work for them. God, first, please come into my head before I do. Please relieve me of the bondage of self. Please relieve my listeners and, and everyone inside and outside the rooms who are suffering from the bondage of self. Please let me feel your strength and your power and your wisdom so that I may extend courtesy to my fellow man and woman. And please, if it be your will, may I feel courtesy from my fellow man and woman. May I, may I be bestowed courtesy upon, from my community and let me bestow courtesy upon my community. Amen. <laughs>